I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed on mats. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. I couldn't believe how much the river changed this year. I know, right? It was like a new river. I think it was the section where the sediment actually filled the forest floor alongside the river that showed that the river had flooded its banks and then deposited a new riverbed into the forest. Yeah, yeah. And all those uprooted, like green trees, living Mm -hmm. huge, 100-foot spruces, just tons of them scattered down the river. That, That really blew me away. That was like, okay, major force. Major power. Something has really changed this river. Huge water year. Huge runoff. And even while so much has changed, so much of the river feels familiar. Like even as things are diverting, there's a whole new. There's a whole new section through the forest that was I've never seen before. And yet, from the put-in where we start there at uh, Pacific Creek, it's memory after memory after memory. Even some of the waves have not changed. Some of the places where yeah, right. we went sideways on our first time in that water, uh, I, like those, those waves have not moved. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful to experience a river that you know well and revisit it. This was 18 years, I think, of doing the river itself. Yeah. One of my favorite moments this time was passing that fly fishing guide who can't yet see all of the permit tags on the canoe and offers just like the very, which is very good advice for most people. Hey guys, just, you know, careful in those canoes. And then we get to go past with almost 20 stickers lining these canoes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Just go, oh, you don't even want to know what's been attempted in these canoes. You think this is dangerous. <laughs> well, you know, now to give him some mercy, we were rafted up and you guys had your shirts off and we were passing cigars back and forth and we looked like idiots going down the river sideways. <laughs> like we looked like we didn't know what we were doing. But that's because we know that section of river is perfectly fine and that's a great place to light a smoke and, and then kind of get back into action up mm-hmm. ahead. I was so struck this year by all of the memories in the Tetons. There's this quote that I love by John O'Donohue, who's an Irish poet. It goes, tradition is to the people what memory is to the individual. And there's this shared tradition of going to the Tetons that is like a cultural, familial memory. I'm standing there on the, on the trail coming down from the Coulter Bay campgrounds to Coulter Bay. And I just walked in a little bit and got emotional. And I'm looking at these tents and hearing the sounds of camp. And like, I was pretty sure that if I kept walking, I was going to 
enter the kingdom and find little Sam and Blaine and Luke and Padre gathered around a massive pot of tortellini with pesto and welcoming me. Like I couldn't keep going down the trail, otherwise I might have disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Like this place has is steeped in memory. I, I think this is something about adventure that some people might miss because adventure feels like, oh, it's the new thing. What's the new thing, right? Like we haven't done the middle fork of the salmon, let's do that. Or, you know, we, we haven't done the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, let's do that. And so it's the new, but there is something so exquisite about having history and having place that just allows like... You get both. I mean, because every year it's different. The river was different this year, and you have to pay attention because of that. But then you get all the memories, right? And so you get this double experience of my present, this trip's adventure, you know, and, and then you have like all those layers, just layers laid down of, oh, remember what happened here? And remember what happened there? And that's where McConnell wrapped his canoe around the... Around the tree. Literally, uh, like 50 feet in. (laughs) Yeah. It's only a matter of time, obviously, before certain literary figures enter this conversation. But one of the best expressions of this, of someone who says it all the time, Wendell Berry, comes in life as a miracle. And it's in his note at the end of this book. And he talks about what it means to know a place. And as he's describing his son, is beginning to know what it means to know the place that he lives in. And he just has this beautiful line, which is, only I, with my father and grandfather alive in my memory, and my son and grandson alive in my sight, in position to see it. And there's just this uh, understanding that in the story and in the lineage of learning a spot intimately, Mm -hmm. you actually eventually have a revelation of what it means to live in a place that's only gained over making deposits year after year after Mm -hmm. year, investing into the knowledge of any given landscape. Yeah, Barry was the one who described Americans as displaced people or or people that just have no place. There's no sense of rootedness. There's no... His story is actually, I think, pretty relevant for our listeners because young man, successful, climbing the ropes, Stanford, Europe, New York City, and everybody's cheering him, right? Because he's a very gifted writer and and poet, a novelist and teacher. He's um, teaching. And then he does what everyone thought would be career suicide. Like he literally leaves it all. He just walks away. And he goes back to live in rural Kentucky where he grew up. And it ends up being the stroke of genius, right? Because Nathan Coulter and all the books that you know flow out of that came out. You know, It came by returning. It came by going back to place. But at that point in a young man's life, to, to walk away from shiny, bright and shiny, and go back to the humble and familiar looks really dumb. I was reading an article, an interview with him, and he said, you know, everybody looks at that now and says, hey, that was really amazing because look at all these novels that have come from that. And he says, I didn't do it as a strategic decision. I did it because I wanted to. Hmm. I love that. How many people are in a place, like myself included, and I'm thinking of other places? Like, though I may be in a place for a season, I am so far from 
the Wendell Berry posture of like intentionally being in a place and being present to all that that entails. I'm either thinking of where I could be or I'm pissed about all the reasons this current place isn't measuring up to what I would like it to be. Yeah. And so it feels like just because I may be in my hometown in this season doesn't mean that I'm therefore going to be a prolific and very talented novelist. <laughs> like there's a posture. Could be. There's a posture in in where you are and a and a posture in why we re, why we return to the Tetons. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a book that I love about the Tetons that Jack Turner wrote called Tewanot. And Turner is one of the old guard of the Exum mountain guide staff. He's just been there forever and ever. And, you know, Exum guides all over the world, but they primarily guide the Teton range and they primarily guide the Grand because that's what everybody wants to climb. And starting as soon as there's smelt off, they're up there leading clients all summer long. Turner wrote this beautiful book about leading climbing, yes, but also about the valley and that he's come to call home and his intimate knowledge of it. Oh, I know that bird. Oh, I know what it's like in the fall here. I remember this, the sounds and the silence of winter. And so it's this really beautiful poetic book. But he tells this hair-raising story that I wanted to recount because it's the end of the climbing season. It's late October. Park is shutting down. And, and so Turner's going to go up and retrieve his gear. He admits he's an older climber now. And so he doesn't haul his gear up and down every time like the young guides do. He leaves all his gear up there and he just goes up in a pair of tennis shoes and picks up his clients at the Exum saddle and off they go, right? So he's going up in the dark in October up the Grand, or not all the way up it, but up you know to the Grand, to the saddle at 11,600 feet. And a snowstorm comes in and he is hopelessly unprepared for it. He, ha- he, he doesn't even have a day pack. Uh, his plan was to spend the night in the you know, Axum Hut and come down the next morning with all his gear. He gets lost. And then this beautiful moment where he finally reaches something familiar. He gets to the head wall. um, And here's what he says. He says, I reached a fixed rope in darkness in a blizzard. When I turned on my headlamp, a cocoon of brilliant light, perhaps eight feet in diameter, envelops me. And the scintillations from the blowing snow destroy my sense of place and direction. I turn it off preferring darkness with its vague but familiar forms. After all, I know this place. I've been here hundreds of times. I can picture everything with my mind's eye. The rock is greasy with half-frozen water. In the summer, this section is so easy, we don't belay clients, but on this dark night, I'm exhausted and off balance and so keenly aware that even a short fall here could be deadly. And then, In the darkness, without thought, my right hand searches the right wall of the chimney, brushing away snow. My fingers sink into a great handhold, a handhold I know as well as I know the difference between hot and cold. Yes. As I climb on, my fingers find more handholds, each buried under snow, each waiting for me like an old friend, each, I want to say, greeting me. And then Turner kind of sums up his experience by saying, whoever knows a reef or river or mountain intimately knows at some point this feeling. It is among the gifts that flow from returning again and again, each new return enriching the cycle forever. 
I just thought, what a wonderful thing to know a mountain intimately, to know, right, a reef, a river, a wood intimately. Yeah, it's such a powerful story and powerful, like, feeling that it evokes in me of it is my great desire as a human being to be known and to feel connected to those around me and to the the point that you made earlier that Wendell Berry says of this Undis, this unrooted, I, like I feel that I, I often feel that, and to have connection with people does something, and we know that and we feel that longing, but we so often overlook the space, like to know a mountain climb like that, yeah. to know like it feels like home, it feels like a grounding for me, something that happens every single year. We have these Russian olive trees that will bloom and and like they'll reach a point where the leaves are coming out and the smell will take me to Cane Creek. Yeah. It's always Moab. Yeah. I see them. I smell them. And without willing it, I am in some place completely familiar. I can see the rock. I can feel the dirt. I can hear my comrades and brothers. Like Mm. I, I feel this place. And at the same time, I feel myself being more rooted to the story and mm. into a place like it is, it's immensely powerful. And yes, I want to go back to that place, but sometimes the smell alone is good enough. Doesn't it transport you? It works. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating thinking of this. It touches on, uh, there's a field that I'll mention sometimes that I think is extremely interesting of distributed cognition. Sounds intimidating. The point is simple and it has to do with that we're designed for intimacy. We're designed to actually live in places. And there is overwhelming evidence indicating a reality that we actually know in spaces and we know in environments. And the simplest version of this is the way that a space can trigger a memory or the way that your workstation often whole sort of houses for you different parts of a project, but it goes way further than that. And it's fascinating. We as people are designed to know places such that we actually uh, imagine in them, flourish in them, remember in them. And I think we've all had this experience of you walk down a familiar street and the memory comes back. That's actually sort of how the human mind works is it arranges this map in a place and then stores information and emotions there and that's actually meant to increase such that so much and there's even a fascinating transition as a person's life goes on is more and more actually is offloaded onto intimacy with a place and so if you have no intimacy with places that's actually where you see the most significant deterioration of human minds whereas if you have the most Mm. you can actually sustain the life of the mind and the imagination much further. Mm. That's a little secret of Wendell Berry's mm. because even as you're walking around and you're smelling the Russian olive trees and you're looking at the sandstone, your sense experience and the conversations and the life of your soul is literally mapping onto that place and being stored there. And the science goes on and on, but the core point of we think in places totally uh, aligns with this idea that knowing places well is a key part of knowing places at all and of adventure. That has a fascinating implication to me right now. And if you feel like you've lost something of yourself or you feel like you are losing your mind 
go back to a place you know, right? Totally. Because it will it will recover things for you. You um, you don't know how else to recover, right? So there's a lot of other beautiful places in the Rocky Mountain West. There, you know, Glacier, Good Grief National Park, and the Sawtooths, and Idaho, and never been to Banff uh, in Canada. Here it's gorgeous, but we just choose to keep returning for 20 years to the Tetons because I don't know. It's 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 certainly our love for it. It's a gorgeous place and most people just blow through on their way to Yellowstone and we're happy with that. You know, you go join the crowds in Yellowstone. Keep going to Yellowstone. Everybody <laughs> exactly. listening. Keep going. But just we, kidding. Everybody who listens to this podcast already <clears throat> knows we go to the Tetons, so no secret there. <laughs> we go back. We go back for joy. We go back. Even the anticipation of can't wait to get molasses cookies from Dornan's, right? Can't wait to take the high up hike up Lee Lake to that white sandy beach that few people know about and swim there. You have all the joy of anticipation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, my wife and I love going on walks here in town. It's something we've always enjoyed doing. And like a a walk together with our kids is a phenomenal moment and joy. The walk to String Lake was an entirely different category, having all of those years and all of those memories as a young boy doing it for 20 years and then to just be there with my wife and my daughter who's running all over the place and picking wildflowers and looking at the horses and it's like I, I could I you, you guys have you who have been listening to this podcast know I get fairly sentimental when it comes to my kids but I like I was like every few steps it was emotional and beautiful and I feel like I have to do a whole nother thing on how it's it's the gain and loss but that was a walk in a place and because of the memory because of the history because of knowing like we're going to come around and we're going to walk alongside the lake for a little bit we're going to see the boats leaving the harbor and going out and then we're going to go over a a rise and we're going to be winding through the trees and then eventually um, we might hear a sandhill crane and see the lily pads on the lake like I know this walk this isn't about discovering something new we love that as well but there was just a thousand-fold richness of getting to do it and bring others mm. that I love into it. Mm. I thought it was fascinating. Um, none of this was coordinated, actually, but the current edition of Backpacker Magazine, which I just got, they always do a summer feature on the national parks and kind of how to avoid the crowds and where some of the cool stuff is. And so they've got a number of articles like that. But then the last article in the, in the magazine is... Um, entitled Once is Not Enough, Some Trips Grab Hold of You and Never Let Go. And it's a short essay on going back. And the author says this. He says, once is not enough for some experiences. Some places touch something deep inside, and you want to see them again, feel them again, share them with others. Perhaps, as the author Mylan Kundera wrote, Happiness is the longing for repetition. And then he, his particular trip that he's talking about is the Grand Canyon, which he did as a kid and, and as a young man, and, then, and now he's taking his kids there. And he says this, he says, one of the best parts about repeating trips is finding that nothing truly stays the same, not places and not you. 
On our last Grand Canyon trek, we planned to camp at Indian Garden, halfway up the Bright Angel Trail, to break up the hike out, just as we'd done when the kids were younger. But now we have teenagers, and when we got to the bottom, they scoffed at the suggestion that they couldn't hike out in one day, and insisted that we do just that. At first, I resisted. I'd enjoyed the previous trip so much, I wanted to replicate it exactly. That when we reached the rim, and the kids celebrated their triumph, I realized we hadn't really abandoned tradition. We created a new one. And so watching you guys in the Tetons this year with your beautiful little girls running around was just, oh my gosh, it's joy upon joy. Right? Yeah, what I love about tradition is it doesn't feel, if, if it's good, it doesn't feel limiting or restraining. Uh, back to the river, there's this pullout where we would typically do lunch because it had like a nice beach and it was at this bend in the river. And at once upon a time, it was right about when we would get hungry. And um, it's like 30 minutes into a two hour float. <laughs> so these days we hit it pretty early on and we're not hungry. We don't need to stop for lunch. This last time we didn't even bring lunch. We just had a few cigars and some snacks, but it's still worth pulling over. And it's still worth the hike through the trees to get upriver a little bit and jump in and float down like we have always done. And it's tradition that's changed and isn't restraining, but there's all of the joy of like, oh man, Mm -hmm. remember we used to get in here and then the mud would up to your knees Mm -hmm. and we'd just kind of keep tacking each other in and out of this place that it doesn't have to be the exact same. Like we're not always lunching there anymore, but we still jump in and it's freaking cold. Yeah. This time in the Titans talking with Luke, I made the observation of one of the key parts of these places that we love and return to is their ability to fill in your kingdom imagination. And I think in that sort of repetition we're talking about, there's a really helpful piece for us in having an active imagination of the kingdom of God, the renewal we're expecting. And it's that it is not, in fact, this kind of ah oh, moment. It's not like a single like, wow, that that was a beautiful vista. It's actually the unique good that happens over time mm. and just the reality that the kingdom is in motion, the kingdom is intimate, and is mm. is a story that keeps going in Isaiah and to the increase of his kingdom there will be no end. There's this there's a element of proliferation that goes hand in hand with goodness in the kingdom of God that is reflected in you don't just visit a place once and get it and not be like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. the we drove by the Oregon coast. I love that. So different than going, oh, actually, year after year, this place is a story through which I'm transformed that I contribute to. And that's actually helping me understand mm-hmm. and expect goodness and renewal and having, you know, we know all the wonderful things that it does for a body to have these places and to have beauty but to go, this is really correcting some important things for many people, which is the steadiness and the ongoingness of the things that we enjoy. Mm. Turner, in his article, when he was talking about his night on the Grand in the snowstorm, he says, whoever knows a reef or a river or a mountain intimately knows at some point this feeling. It is among the gifts that flow from returning. And I thought of Laird Hamilton and Jaws, uh, you know, the reef that he knows so well. For those of you unfamiliar with Laird, 
big wave writer, one of the world's legendary guys in that field. And Jaws was one of the places in Hawaii that opened that up. Only gets big swells at certain times of year, weather, timing, direction. There's a reef that's buried out there. And you don't see it on calm days, but the reef is so exactly situated to create these massive waves under certain conditions. Laird lives above that reef. Like his house is literally there. He looks out at it every day. He watches the weather. He watches the swells. And his knowledge of the place is so intimate and and filled with wrecks and filled with tragedies um, and triumphs, but knowledge built over time that allows him to, you know, catch the waves there that that few people can catch because he's so intimate with a place. I just love that. There's just some longing for that. And I think also it's simply because of the longing it's touching in me, it's helpful to name again that we don't live over Jaws. <laughs> yeah. We don't live yeah. in the Tetons. That I, Like, yes, I'm built for this. And yes, there is definitely a measure in my neighborhood right now, but we have these places that we make pilgrimages to, and that's what it looks like for us to develop this quality and live with this quality right now. I just, as you're talking, I'm going, you're right. Forsaking town and living somewhere I'm awesome selling my house. is what man is made for. <laughs> is this is what I should do. Like, Susie, list the house. Get it ready. Yeah. You know, in the evening yes. when the motorcycles are going by on Skyway Drive. <laughs> <laughs> but I, okay, so I think of m- most assumed experiences of a desire of mastery and a desire of beauty. I see myself flipping through Instagram, like. It's highlight, highlight, new place, new place, new thing. That's so different than Turner, than Mendelberry, than Laird Hamilton. Like, though we don't get to live in necessarily those places, like we live here in the Springs, and there's a different call to that as well. You, there are still choices to be made to go exactly. and be in a place. Exactly. And Susie and I love tra- traveling and exploring new places, and that is an outlier. That's not the regular for us. What is regular is a rhythm that is building health, building even that sense of mastery that I would love to be like the world's best at anything. Yeah. <laughs> so far, it seems like I'm the world's best at wanting to be the world's best. Yeah. You actually just, you're not even top 10. <laughs> exactly. So pilgrimage. Yeah. Pilgrimage in, in, in this era and at this time and with the bank accounts that most people have, pilgrimage is a much better way uh, to begin to access this, begin to experience this. You, you choose to return. You choose to return. You don't always have to chase the shiny new thing, right? You can choose to return to a place, and over time it becomes your place, and and you, you gain that intimate knowledge of it, that intimate relationship, and therefore, like, man, such a higher level of enjoyment of it. I'm struck by how much of a kingdom mentality it takes, actually, because if this is all there is— then why are you hitting the same place twice? Go get as much as you can. And why go back? Because then it's just it's just miserable because it's not the last time. Mm-hmm. Like the, the memories can actually be really a threat if you're not grounded in that nothing is lost. This is huge because I, I also took the little trail up uh, from the beach at Coulter Bay up into the campground and it just wrecked me. 
it just wrecked me because of all those memories and all those sweet years. And the tears come in part because of the feeling that those days are gone forever. Like, it will never be like that trip again. It will, you know, and I was just so struck by if I did not believe in the renewal of all things, that God loves this earth more than I do, and that he fully intends to preserve his beautiful creation, to to renew it, uh, and therefore, like in the coming in the coming chapter, it's, all is not lost, not at all, including memory. Like that is that's my only rescue. If I didn't have that, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah return would just suck in that case. Actually, right? It why, would be why like do that to yourself. Oh, the new they built the development and they paved now my the, favorite exactly. trail exactly. And yeah. and now when you go to like. One of our favorite lakes is like Circus Lake, where we don't actually go to it anymore yeah. because it's just covered with inflatable things. You could have walked across the lake on plastic. On people. Um, it was crazy. And yet, there's not this, oh, the place is being sabotaged. There's just kind of a big, massive bumpers for, oh, man, yep. It's a beautiful place. That's a little ridiculous, but nothing in my story here is compromised by you guys. Yes. Crowding into this area and in the places that the value is solitude, that's almost always available somewhere. So there is this, can you frame the increase of memory as, you know, actually a treasure trove rather than, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I'm just going to be afflicted by all these things that don't exist anymore when I see this mm-hmm. place and who was I last time? And isn't it precious that I really, I really just find this extraordinarily precious when, when Peter asked Jesus, so what are we supposed to be looking forward to? Jesus doesn't th- throw ethereal concepts at him. He literally grounds it in place. He talks about houses, lands, like literally names land. And he says, oh, all that's going to be restored, guys. Don't, don't worry. Don't fret that you're going to lose lose it all like that's just so earthy and tangible and real and and I just think very poignantly kind right cuz he was talking to dads at that point peter had a family he had young kids and well otherwise honestly memory feels like a cruel thing or a bank account meant to hold sand with holes in the floor mm. like i have to hold on to that piece of Everything is not loss, almost on a daily basis, mm-hmm. for very, very good things. Yes. Like beautiful moments with my family yes. or relationship or like even a bike ride. If it's a beautiful day mm. and I'm out, there can be a moment, there often is, if not always, where it's like this moment is never going to happen again. And then the sweeter it is, the more potential damage you can have mm-hmm. of like, oh my gosh, I've got to hold on to this so tightly, Yeah, the four of us. Uh, the three of us plus Luke got to float the snake again, right? So yeah. th- there we are. We're floating on this river that has so many memories. We're passing cigars back and forth. We're we're leisurely. I mean, yes, it takes a skilled helmsman, but like we could, we could do this very easily. We could do this backwards with the canoe flipped. Like it would be yeah. okay. Yeah. And that can be a moment that that sits with others and is rich, 
rather than one that we go, oh my gosh, this one's never happening again. This is getting harder and harder to do. Like we got to soak, get it while the getting's good. Mm. Good things can almost become a loss Mm -hmm. if there isn't a sense of this is going to come back to me. Like I will get to experience some some of this again. Yep. It's not all loss. It's not at all. Yeah. So we can lay down memory and relationship with place. There's so many examples of this. If if you just kind of begin to think back, like even like big wall climbers in Yosemite and Dean Potter and his incredible relationship with the valley and and even with El Capitan, which eventually allows him to climb it, you know, speed climb it. Like he's literally leaping, you know, from crag to crag. And, you know, there's obviously enormous risks with that kind of lifestyle, but the intimacy of the place for me... Uh, two years ago, going back to Eastern Oregon, uh, my grandfather's ranch area, the Snake River flows through there, and and the memory in that place and the joys of returning, it, it's like you get to feast again, you know, that um, the feast isn't over uh, because vacation's over and you got to go home, Right. You can return in your mind, you can return in your memory and feast on it, but you can also go back. You can make deliberate choices to go back and 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 feast again. Yeah. So you talking about Dean Potter. What I love is there is actually this core dimension of play that's reserved for story and intimacy with place. And that the, there are a few things that come to mind just around when you lay this down, when you come back to feast again, you actually, far from becoming accustomed to it, the opportunity for play that is opened up. And where I think of it is, I think of it in the unit where we always elk hunt, and I think of the ability to stay out well into the dark because at this point, several miles in any direction, we can all walk back in the dark just enjoying a moonless, dark night and what the woods feel like because, you know, we've invested 15 years into this one place exactly. so that we arrive at this spot where, like, our ability to enjoy it, our ability to play in it is actually massively multiplied. Oh, yeah. And then as you're—oh, I thought of hunting earlier, too, because, because you have to embody a place and you have to inhabit a place, I mean, so intimately— and, and so carefully and be so tuned in to a place, be very tuned in, like a, like a big surfer does, right? A big wave surfer has to be very tuned in. What's it doing today, you know? Allows so much more joy of, whoa, look at that. I remember when that little tree was just a pipsqueak. Look, he's coming along, you know? And I've never seen that cut in the bank before. I wonder what, I wonder what did that? And you kind of get curious and walk over and go, oh my gosh, it's, that's, a, that's a den where the river otters hang out. I did, you know? It, it does. It increases play and richness because of your familiarity with it. Yeah, I love the the language of it becoming a friend. And a friend is someone that you know intimately. You like you know their face, their hands, the, their disposition. And a friend you can do things with and you can also sit with. And so there's something of like, we get to the Tetons and it's not, we don't have this like, I have to go do this hike and I have to go see this lake and I have to go do that. Otherwise, it's not good enough. It's I could just sit in one of the many places <laughs> that this massive stretch of land has and that would be enough mm-hmm. because I will be present to the land and to what is in front of me and to the, the mm-hmm. ongoing story that's unfolding mm-hmm. there. Um, there's not this 
need to like see the big shiny things and, and do like a checklist. Mm-hmm. That's why I think we began with on the river. We loved the change as much as we loved the things that had stayed the same. And we were aware of it throughout this two hour float of like, mm-hmm. oh, that used to go this way. And now it goes that like that sense of presence, regardless of whether it's an exciting rapid moment or it's a, a lazy moment where our feet are dangling over the sides. Like it all has that known sense of it being a friend to it. 